0: Welcome to A Free Solution.
1: Hey, it's Larry Sharp. Yes, I am here on WYSL Rochester, New York. A Free Solution. So happy that you're giving me a small chunk of your afternoon. You know, you can. If you want to, reach out to me, 585 346 3000. You know, yesterday, was Halloween and out where I live in Queens, it was really busy, lots and lots of kids. And we hadn't seen that in a while, right? The, the lockdowns and the scares of a COVID scares made everybody think, oh my God, you can't go out. We'll all die. I remember that. So I was happy to see all the kids out. I was. With that in mind, I was also a little surprised. I was. I think back when I was a kid. And for those of you who know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s in the South Bronx. And in those days, if you knew the South Bronx, I mean, even now it's tough. But it was a real tough neighborhood. Lots of gangs and drugs and all types of things. And there were corrupt cops all over the place. Notoriously the uh, Serpico, um, If th- for those of you old enough remember that, that movie on the corruption of New York City cops back then. There's a lot of cleanup since then, obviously. But back then it was tough. And back then, we used to just go out and do trick or treating. I lived in a big building, right? I lived in the city. My My building had two huge wings and six floors filled with apartment buildings. I'm sorry, with apartments. So what will we do? My mom said, go trick-or-treating. That was it. Just go. Well, I had friends from the building, and or friends from the block, and or friends from school, and many of us lived in the same building or buildings nearby, and we just went, door-to-door trick-or-treating. It's what we did. I was probably seven, eight, I can remember. I was a little kid. I just went. This was the South Bronx in the 70s. And my mom and dad just said, go, come back with some candy. And I did. And I found kids and we went door-to-door and we knocked on doors, went to different buildings. Down the block, up down the block. For those of you who may know the South Bronx, I grew up on Walton Avenue, if you know where that is. That's what, and up and down the, the uh, street. So we did. Started around maybe dusk in that area, four or five-ish, I guess, I'm trying to remember as a kid. And we were up till probably eight, nine, is my guess. I, I don't remember that much. But somehow, we survived. Somehow, my parents weren't afraid. And again, I lived in the South Bronx, and we did it. What was different is that generally speaking, we stayed in buildings that we knew, meaning that people that we knew. When I was a kid in those days, we didn't have childcare. That wasn't a thing in the Bronx. What you had was babysitters. And babysitters was some mom, that's who it was, who lived in the building and didn't work. And that mom would watch all the kids. That's how it worked. So I remember I had a mom I went to. I can't remember now whether she was Puerto Rican or Dominican. I think Puerto Rican if I remember, but I'm not sure. We went back there and I went to her house and that's where I stayed. And we knew some of the people in our building and we'd go to different buildings. Why am I telling you this story? Because 40 or 50 years ago, in a terrible neighborhood, the parents weren't that afraid. Why? Because even in those days, we had community. Even in bad neighborhoods, we had community. I go out now in my community, and it's hard to find people that I know. Most of the kids, my kids don't know. Most of the parents, we don't know. We know some of them. Right, I'm, I'm semi-active in my community. People know who I am, but it wasn't a lot. And I went out as a seven or eight-year-old, and I just found other kids, and we went together. That was almost non-existent yesterday. There were as many parents as there were kids out. That's one of the reasons why it was so busy. There were as many parents out as there were kids all helicopter bulldozer parents. It was insane. A whole different world. They were all afraid. Someone would take their kids or hurt their kids. And the stories about they're going to put drugs in the kids to, to be forward. Drugs are far too expensive for them to give away for free. You're not getting drugs for free. Not how it works. Not for Not for kids who can't pay anyway. So no, it's a business. But they didn't say that when I was a kid. It says we raise the blades and apples or something like that. None of that was true, and we didn't care. But something else happened, and some of you in upstate New York, no, not city dweller like me, I was across New York State this weekend, as I am almost every weekend, and I found that people were trick or treating days before uh, Halloween. I don't understand why. I said why, and one of the guys who was with me at the event. He said, oh, the city tells you when you need to go trick-or-treating. And they decide it's oh, it's Saturday or Sunday or whatever. The town says that. And I said, what? The, the town now tells you when you can trick-or-treat? He said, yeah, they make a rule on how to make it happen and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what? So yet again, for safety, for safety, Government steps in to tell you when you can trick-or-treat, something which is completely cultural and completely community-based. For those of you who don't know, in New York City, it is very common to go to stores to trick-or-treat. That's not true in every community, but in the borough specifically, it's very common because many most communities have a, a bottom level of stores and an upper level of apartments. It's a common thing in the boroughs of New York City. And so many times people will go to the stores because they can't get into the buildings because of security. So instead they'll go down and do all the stores instead. That's a common thing in New York City. That's not common in every community. And there's no rule or law on this. We just made it kind of happen in our community. This goes back to what I always say. When you add government, you remove community. What are we actually afraid of? Government is afraid of community. We shouldn't be. How do I know that? Because when I was a kid in a bad neighborhood, what made me safe wasn't cops. It was community. When I was out in Long Island, in a very tough neighborhood, sitting in a park, where all around us, there were shootings and such every evening. In that park, there wasn't. Because there were men in that park who made a rule. They were part of their community. What keeps us safe? Community. What keeps us happy? Community. What gives us purpose? Community. And let me ask you, of all the problems happening right now, all the issues that we're dealing with across this state, what candidate, what person, what politician, what leader is talking about community. They're not. For the fear that we have across this state, the Democrat says, Nothing's wrong. So good. Soul in your mind. What's wrong with you? Look at the stats. Nothing's wrong. What does Republicans say? More cops, more cops, more cops. The answer is now, was then, and will always be community. Government has to create an environment to build community. If it doesn't do that, we will always be afraid. We'll be afraid of our neighbor or of the government or the cop or the bad guy or the doctor or the whatever. Last year, maybe it was earlier this year. No, it was last year. Someone was talking about, Larry, aren't you worried with all these medical mandates that at one time coming up here, somebody's going to come by in a white van and grab the bad people and go, this person's a bad person, grab them and put them in the back of the van and say, it's for your health. And they're going to drive away. And I said, Larry, aren't you afraid of that? I said, I'm not. Like, why? I'm not afraid of the guy in a white van and the two guys in a white van. I'm afraid of my neighbor who called them. That's who I'm afraid of. Because when it comes to guys in white vans, There's a whole lot more of us than there are them. But if my neighbor is against me, if I'm afraid of my neighbor because I have no community, that's where they get power. That's how they can be effective. And that's what I am afraid of. Am I wrong? What should we be afraid of? Tell me. 585-346-3000. Larry Sharp, WYSL, Rochester, New York, Honor Free Solution, back with your chat and your calls after the break.
3: Hey, this is Kevin Wilson, host of A Free Solution. You ever needed a tool for just one project,
1: but didn't want to spend the cash for something you'd use just once or twice? Well, there's a new tool library in Rochester where you can borrow just the thing you need instead of buying a new one. It's called the Tool Shed from the Southeast Area Coalition, and membership starts at just $25 a year. Use it for home projects or to support your business. Learn more and become a member at seaktoolshed.org. That's S-E-A-C-Toolshed.org
0: available in the WISL store at WISL1040.com. Official top quality tees, hoodies, and coffee mugs depicting the colorful WISL logo or the already famous Mount Worstmore line of merch depicting Mount Rushmore style are for worst presidents. Of course, you know who is front and center up on that mountain. WISL official items make perfect gifts or they're a great way for you to make a personal statement. Locally produced and sold only in the WISL store at WISL1040.com. A Free Solution
1: on the WYSL stations. It is Larry Sharp here on A Free Solution. WYSL, Rochester, New York. 585-346-3000. For the break, I was talking about community and what we should actually be afraid of and what we will be afraid of if we don't actually foster local community. I want to grab a call, if I could. I'm going to grab Keith from Rochester. How are you, sir?
3: Well, we're going to run with this like a football, uh, because I'm going to pick Uh up exactly uh, what you're saying about, uh, I always, I deem myself as very conservative, because I am, and I hate to talk in terms of equity, but uh, here goes, and I want to say up front, I'm earmarking my comments to all of the white people in the audience myself included okay. you mentioned uh puerto ricans and dominican republicans uh from 40 years ago i wonder uh four decades later if they have their proper equity in the american mainstream of things uh from my own perspective i know a black guy young man who uh, defines himself as a, a relatively uh republican uh black male uh coincidentally mm-hmm. he has the same first name as the mayor of Rochester, uh, that person, Malik Evans. Uh, The Mm -hmm. Malik I know, if uh, people know Rochester, he lives with his grandmother on Central Avenue. That's a bad part of town uh, to uh, put in context. uh, A nightclub there named The Allure was recently closed for a series of problems. They're shut down by law enforcement. Wow. Um, I'm earmarking this for white people because they should know that our American workforce in the future is going to be non-white. Uh, my sure. Malik, to call him that, is a good guy, but he will show attitude, and I'm saying this bluntly, as some African Americans will. And so when I ask Malik, well, on the one hand, you identify yourself, certainly from the perspective of a black guy, as being relatively conservative, then yet in some of your work, you um show even defiant attitude and when i draw him out and this is what i meant from your uh puerto ricans and dominican republicans from four decades ago malik says pointedly i'm not making it i work Mm. in everything i'm still living with my grandmother in a, a place like central avenue in true downtown rochester uh Even if, in a shamefaced way, me, conservative, have to bring up that dastardly term of equity, what are we white people going to do to spearpoint these uh, non-whites who will be, like it or not, on the part of anyone, our true future workforce? How do we bring them truly into the American mainstream? Because according to my Malik, he ain't getting nowhere. He's a good guy. But, like, uh, yep. I would say 25% of black people, he he will show attitude because on his bad days, he knows he's not making it. And even yep. though he tries, he's treading water. And a lot of white people will come back at me and say, geez, Keith, we're in the same boat. And I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I turned 67 this year. I was born late in the year. And uh, some of us are, are still there, too. Uh, but um, I'm sorry to have I, to say, yeah. if you have a white face, you will make it better than if you have a non-white face. And so in closing, what do we say to your people from 40 years ago, when my estimation are probably treading water, and Malik in his own words is treading water, what do we as a hope for caring society mm-hmm. do to carry our future non-white workforce into the American mainstream so they really know they have a fighting chance of making it.
1: This is an amazing question, Keith. And let me see if I can grab a bunch of these at different pieces. The first piece I want to bring up is, yes, there's absolutely racial inequity here. Of course there is. With that in mind, we have to also realize it's not a 100% across the board. What I mean by that? If you look at the 1% of America... Clearly it's mostly white and mostly male, that's true. But it's the 1% of America, which means 99% of white males are not making it either. Right? So most average white people are not the 1%. So even though the 1% elite in America are mostly white and mostly men, the still vast, vast majority of white men are not in that group. So if we are to attack that group, if we are, I'm not even saying we should, it should be based upon a class issue because there are Black and Hispanic males in that group, few of them. There are women in that group, few of them, but they also exist in that 1% group. So I do think we want to make sure that we're clear on that issue, that when we're saying, well, the white man is doing great, well, the 1% percent's doing great, which is mostly white and mostly male. But the average white guy is also struggling too. I think we should just keep that in, in, in mind. Second, I think your point about if you have a white face, you have a better chance of success. I think that's true. And that's not because individual white people are racist. That is the issue. There are racist people in the world, without question. On both sides and all sides of whatever side you want to have, they exist. The issue I want to bring up is, Nowhere near the amount that is put out in the media. Not even close. It's so far. The vast majority of Americans don't care about race at all. They care about themselves and what they want to do and how they're going to move forward. And they don't care if the guy next to them is Jewish or black or white. They don't care. The average American. To be clear again, there are races. They do exist. Just very few of them. The system is racist. Oh my God, Larry, there you go. No, I discussed how gun control is racist. It is. It's also unconstitutional and immoral and racist. And so is our prison system. And so was our banking system years ago, which still affects us now. And so was our housing system years ago, which still affects us now. So how do we fix this? Not by yelling, hey, white guy, you're a bad guy. We instead do it by fixing an actual system and basing it heavily, not on race, but on class or social status. For example, the felon population. That's about all the time, Keith. How do we make our felons and give them a chance to move forward? If we give felons more of a second chance, and for those who don't know, there is a magic pill. If a felon who comes out of prison gets to work for five years the odds of them going back to jail are less than someone who's never committed a crime before. So there is a magic pill here. If we can get them working, you might go, but Larry, what about black people? Don't we want to help them more? I think we do. But guess what? Black people are a larger percentage of the felon population. So if I focus on the felon population, I will by default help more black people by default. However, I also don't push away the white guy who had problems too. And not just that, I can now create a solidarity between all the felon population. So now instead of some black guy or white guy who comes out of prison from the gang world and now is super racist from the environment of the jails, which if any of you have known felons and been there know, it is an insanely racist environment and you become racist from going there, even if you're not when you were there, now it creates a solidarity and I'd rather have that. So do things like that and allow local people to assist them. Allow people to get back in action. Then look at things like housing and such and we talk about all the time, right? What do I talk about when it comes to housing? Creating rent to own housing. Rent to own housing, particularly low-level housing, rewarding larger companies at the end when it comes to taxation, meaning getting rid of all of their capital gains tax if they create rent-to-own housing, they will do it to gain the tax benefit. But What will happen? Lower lower socioeconomic people in that rung will be able to buy housing without going through crazy banking. They'll actually get housing. They go, Larry, but what about black people? Well, more of those people, black people, are in the lower socioeconomic strata. So they will be helped more. But I don't push away the white guy or gal who's also had problems. I think I want to create solidarity while I'm creating equity. I don't want to create any type of isolation or any type of division while I create equity. So I think you can create equity and create solidarity. It just takes a lot of time, a lot of thought, and actually less control. Did I answer your question, Keith?
3: I agree with you fully that no one should be pushed away. I do want yep. to have to leave, though, with my fellow whites in Malik's words that um, they, they um, and I brought in the, for you, uh, Mr. Sharp, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans from 40 years ago. Yep. We've got to move faster. My, my concern in closing is that the good Maliks of the world will give up and really sour on themselves. They... Things yes. are not moving fast enough, and I, I people say, uh, uh, "Oh, uh, the Klan today is not around; hardly uh, non-existent, maybe five K Klan men in the entire country, way down from past numbers." So uh, m- mm-hmm. maybe fewer blatant racists, but the system is not opening up, and I'm asking. My fellow whites, without being false on my part, if you understand, as you must, that our future workforce is going to be that, non-white, like it or not on the part of anyone, when does society open Mm -hmm. up to allow these non-whites to move up so that the Maliks of the world don't go belly up before they really make it? Because they, everyone, are running out of patience. They are not making it, and they are... Angry. They just I have to let my fellow whites
1: know that. I see it every day when I go about a lot of anger out there. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate that tremendously. Um, look, there's some valid points. I think we can work on it. And I don't want the Malik's in the world to give up. I don't want anyone to give up. That's why I don't give up. That's why I keep fighting, even though people get mad at me for keep fighting. I'm not giving up, Keith. I'm still with you. Larry Sharp, WYSL. A free solution. Rochester, New York, 585-346-3000. Back with your chat and more calls after the break.
0: A free solution on the WYSL stations.
1: Yes, Larry Sharp here, WYSL, Rochester, New York, on a free solution. I know you're saying to yourself, this is a great show. You're You're right. So you can actually listen to it every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 1 p.m. How? Well, click any of the links that are in the description if you're watching on TV, on um, YouTube or Facebook. Or just follow the Facebook page or the YouTube page. A free solution. Done and done. For the break, we were talking about trying to make things work here in New York State. Community and you know how to fix things and make things better within the communities. And I hope that it's kind of landing and that we understand what we're trying to achieve. Let me grab a call if I could. I have Joe from Schenectady. How are you?
4: I'm doing good. You know, I've been listening to you and following you. And I heard you were talking about Tennessee, you know, about um, the cost of living down there. versus the cost of living here. And I could tell you, you know, I've been looking at land down there and you could get a piece of land down there for like twenty grand. And then you could effectively move down there. You know, and you don't actually need that much. I mean at first, especially if it's just one or two people, you could go and get a camper or something like that and then build up from there, which is what I was thinking of doing. Because I'm getting tired of all the taxes in New York. Now how do you, you were talking about the housing with the tenants and renting mm-hmm. the own, which I think is a fantastic idea. But how do you cut the property tax down so that way yeah. you could have people actually be, and the land prices with the land being so yep.
1: expensive here? How do you do that? There are two things you have to do to make that happen. The first thing is, I talked about this earlier, no one else is bringing this idea up. We have to create a social trust. It is a New York State social trust. I call it the NIST. Norway does this and so does Singapore. It is a separate company, not run by the government, overseen by the government. If it's run by the government, they will just take the money. So it must be a separate company with a separate CEO and a separate board separately. And they start with a little bit of New York State debt. So there is some debt up front. But then after that, It is only funded by private and permanent capital. Big banks, big companies, big investment firms, they put money into this. And you might say, why would they? Because they get a guaranteed return, a dividend back. That's how it works in other countries. Certain countries spend up to 20% of their budget doing this. We're in New York State, with New York City. This could be done. The reason why it's not being done is if you follow this model, the government has no control over it and can't hand out jobs. And that they don't want. I don't care about that. So I'll do that. Once you do that, within two years, that trust can pay for our schooling, all education. If they pay for all education, school tax goes away. We eliminate school tax. The average New Yorker, their property tax will come down by about half, depending upon where they live in a state, it'll be around 50% higher or lower depending upon where you are. Once you cut your property tax in half, now rents can be realistic. But I'm going to keep going. Why do most large organizations not do rent to own? They don't make as much money. I get it. So I have to reward them. How do I do that? That's phase two. I let investors know, if you, per- if you purchase, invest, and build rent to own affordable housing, when you sell it, you will pay no capital gains tax, no income tax on that income. When you're investing $10, 20000000000 billion, which they do, that's a lot of money. That makes sense for them. So I'm lowering the property tax so that the rent can be reasonable and I'm giving them a back end so they can actually build the housing. Now the pushback I get is, But then, Larry, these guys aren't paying their taxes. They're giving poorer people housing. Don't pay your taxes. I don't care. Give people houses they can own and live in and feel like they're part of the community and have ownership. Don't pay. I don't care about your taxes. I care about helping people. That's how you lower it so that people can afford it and to reward people enough and incentivize them to build it. Did I answer your question? Yes, thank you. That's what I'm trying to achieve. Thank you for the call. Yeah. So what Joe brought up, though, is a real problem. And I gave you an actual answer. Nobody else will. But I did. But let me keep going. I agree with Joe. I thought the same thing. It's the reason why I ran for governor in 2018. The story I've told before, and I'll keep telling it. In 2017, I was done. I thought, that's it. New York is just too much for me. I'm out. And I went down to find a big city. For what I do in my day job, I'm a business consultant. I need a large city and big businesses to work with. So I thought, you know what? I'll go to Charlotte. Charlotte's a big city in the South. Got big businesses. I'll be fine. Down in North Carolina. And Joe's right. I went there and I was like, man. Man. I could sell my rinky-dink shoebox house I have here in Queens and buy a mansion down there. Oh, my God. Taxes are lower. Everything's good. But instead of moving, I got angry. And I thought, why does my state suck? Why does my beautiful, amazing, diverse, awesome state that has everything you can imagine in it, from baseball to football to hiking to opera to lakes, to falls, to hunting, skiing, whatever you could imagine is here. Why does it suck so much? Why is it so oppressive? Why do I have to leave my family and my friends in the place I'm born? And I got mad. And I said, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna fix this state. I'm gonna become the governor, I'm gonna fix it. That was 2018, clearly that did not work. But when I ran, I saw how bad the system was. I saw how broken it was. And I thought someone's gotta say something. Someone's gotta show people that you can fix this, that it's fixable. That when you ask someone a question, you don't go, well, the Democrats are evil or the Republicans are evil or whatever you say, you can give an actual answer. And I thought, okay, I'll run again. And this time it'll work. Well, clearly that hasn't worked either. Clearly too many people in this state have Stockholm syndrome and just don't wanna change. And I'm disappointed but I still can make something happen, which is why I'm still going. We can keep an independent party in this state to move everything forward. It can still happen. And that's why I keep going. I don't stop. Because this goes on to actually what Keith said. I want to show an example to others that you don't just quit. That you try your best to keep going. I am a Marine. And I will resist until I no longer have the means to resist. And that's what I'm supposed to do. So I will. So let me grab some of the chat if I could. A lot of you are chatting. I appreciate that. Hero says, Larry, you are the best. I love you, man. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. I really do. Yes. Phil teases me and says, he's still Larry from the Bronx or Larry from the block. I'm just not as popular as uh, Jennifer Lopez. She actually comes from an area a little bit further north, uh, a little more uptown from where I come from. So, yes, she's as, the, as far as the Bronx goes, she's an uptown girl. So, yes, I think that's kind of cute. Twain is mad at me. Twain says, extremely disappointed in Larry Sharp. He knows he can't defeat Hochul, and he doesn't have the support. He should do like the Arizona Senate candidate did and drop out, endorse Lee Zeldin, so we can oust Hochul. Instead, he's going to ride this out and split the vote and be responsible for the outcome. Twain, when that's not true, I hope you will do two things. I hope you will, one, publicly apologize, and two... Donate to my campaign because I might run again. I hope you do that because you should be disappointed in me. If anyone you're disappointed in, it's you or the people who have fallen into what you think. The answer is Larry is not the support. Zeldin also tried to get on the ballot as an independent candidate. He couldn't do it either. The system they set up is an impossible system. He's still on the ballot, though, as Republicans. Why? Because they were grandfathered in. That's what they were. They were grandfathered in. The old boy network all got in. The two big parties did. No one else could make it. He tried. He couldn't do it. A multimillionaire tried. Couldn't do it. You're not mad at the system. You're mad at me. You think it's my fault if Hochul wins. Hochul is going to win. The reason why she's going to win is is because the Republican Party didn't back me when they could have. I did try to walk with them. I did. And they said, no, we don't want you, Larry. And not just that, we're going to sue you off the ballot. So their answer wasn't just no, it was no. And we will use Republican donor and conservative party donor money to throw you off the ballot in court with with a separate civil lawsuit. That's what they did. That's the guy you want me to drop out and support. You may support the guy who backed away from abortion, hasn't shown up for a two A for a two A vote in neither Albany nor DC. You mean to back that guy. All because we gotta stop Hochul this time. That's what they said about Bush and we got Obama. That's what they said about Obama and we got Trump. That's what they said about Trump and we got Biden. When are you gonna learn, Twain? This left, right, back, back and forth? They can yell at you now, get you to believe this lie, and then next four years again? When are you going to learn? Now, I didn't split the vote last time. Last time, a Democrat won by 25 points. I got two points. If you do math, that wasn't me. This time, Zelda will lose by more than two points. I just want two points. I will not be the spoiler. The question is, will you guys give me the ability to fight in the coming years, or will you collapse and be like that sad loser in Arizona who dropped out and embarrassed himself in his own party? Not me. I hope you'll apologize when I'm right, Dwayne, because if I'm wrong, I will apologize. Larry Sharp here, WYSL, Rochester, New York, on a free solution, 585-346-3000. Back with your calls and more chat, good and bad, after the break.
2: Why do businesses choose to move their website from Wix and Squarespace to SimpleTech Innovations? Maybe it's their excellent customer service or attention to detail. Maybe it's their ability to give a truly customized solution. Or perhaps they just like the fact that SimpleTech is a local small business that builds great relationships with its clients. Whatever the reason may be, you can rest assured knowing that the local team at SimpleTech has your best interest in mind when building or updating your website there As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to VetTix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life.
1: My name is Timmy Smith, and on behalf of the Life Pact, I want to implore you to exercise your patriotic duty and vote only for candidates that support our God-given right and constitutionally acknowledge right to keep and bear arms. Of all the rights that are endowed to us by our Creator,
2: arguably, this is the greatest of them. There are politicians on both sides of the aisle that want to disarm us. They know that a disarmed people are a feeble people, and make no doubts about it. There are politicians at all levels of
1: government that want to subdue. They want to conquer our American way. We at the Life Pack not only support your right to bear whatever arm of your choosing, we cherish it. This message was paid for by the Life Pack. L Y F
0: E. A free solution on the WYSL stations.
1: It is Larry Sharp, Rochester, New York, WYSL on a free solution thank you for giving me a small chunk of your afternoon as I try to show you that the most important piece here of all is community. Of everything we speak about, community is going to help our young men from being lost, our young women from making mistakes, our older population from going into nursing homes, our younger population so they can get jobs and grow, and just in general, people being happier and having purpose. And it's very rare that we actually talk about it. And for those of you who are upset about me or with me, whatever the case may be, notice something. Whenever people get upset at me, I still show it. I don't shy away from it. When people insult me, I don't shy away from it. Why don't I? Because I like it? No. No. I don't like it. Do you think I like being insulted? Of course not. Do you don't get hurt by it? Of course I do. Just human. Of course. My friends turn on me? Of course I don't like it. Of course. But you know what? I volunteered for this, I decided to do this. So what happens, happens. I have to take responsibility for my actions. I I volunteered for this knowing that I might get my butt kicked, knowing that I might get insulted, know that I might get yelled at. I did it anyway. And I'm showing you nothing but transparency. I would ask you, what other candidate does that? Don't they assume that your vote is owed to them? And how many of you bend the knee to that and go, yeah, my vote is owed to you. I don't assume that. I don't assume that at all. Many of you accept that as true. And I think that's terrible. It's not the right answer. Your vote is not owned by anybody but you. I hope you choose to give it to me. You'll give it to whomever. But I won't be mad because you think I'm wrong or whatever the case may be. That's not how it works. Not for me, at least. Others will. So I let you know that I will still, even when you're mad at me, I will not cry or whine. I will still accept it and even give you the respect of letting you be heard. Look at that. I love that. Uh, Maybe I'm good. Maybe I'm not. I I don't know. (laughs) Let me keep going. Valerie says, we love you, Larry. I appreciate your strength and fortitude in staying in New York. You know, but I got to tell you, I think about leaving too. I'm sure many of you do who are in New York. I know many of you are. It's very difficult, right? It's challenging to stay here. And I want to make changes. And I think that if we can build a better environment, it will be better in general. So, yes. So, um, Danny says, isn't equity equal outcome? How can anyone promise or guarantee equal outcome? Ooh, I may have misspoken, Danny. I hope I didn't say we can guarantee or promise that. I hope I didn't. I said we can work towards it. And I think we can, right? We can try to make it to where there is more equity than there is now. I think we can, but we can't guarantee anything. And there will be will be people who things don't come out well. But what I want to do is create the best chances for that to happen. So if I said promise or guarantee, I misspoke and I apologize. I hope I didn't say that. But if I did, I apologize. I want us to work towards it. I think we can and i think we can have a more equal and more equitable outcome with the right environment i think we can and but i think it should be equitable or the attempt at equity should not be based or focused on race it should be focused on social status which by default will help more people of other uh, of minority races right that will happen by default And I'm okay with that, but I'm helping people who have, who've had problems, period. And I think that will be a better way. I hope that makes sense. Um, Sanguine says we need more sovereign owner operators. One hundred percent. Yes. The idea of ownership, whether that's ownership in your life, ownership in your business, ownership in your home, in your property, in your family, whatever the issue is. The concept of ownership is so important because ownership equals responsibility. That's what it equals. If you want more people to be more responsible, we have to give them an ownership mindset. It's not easy saying when it's not, when we've spent decades of government stepping in saying, you're not responsible, I'm responsible, I'm government, government's responsible. Somebody else's fault, not your fault. It's somebody else's issue, not yours. We have spent decades telling people this. And for them to change is not easy. We can do it. Not overnight. It's not a guarantee, right? Not at all. So I do think it can be done. It is challenging. We should move towards that. And I I hope that makes sense. So anyway, I hope I also answer your question, Danny, and also, uh, Sanguine. Yes, I hope both of those things works. All right, um, let's see here. Christine says, Larry, it can't happen. You are taking votes away from Zeldin. How can you even say that, Christine? If you truly care about New York, please stop running. And then she goes on and says um, that I'm being selfish, right? Hold on, yeah. Christine if you if what you're saying is true that if someone actually cares about New York then they would drop out if you think that's true. Zeldon says all he cares about is saving our state. Why doesn't he drop? I'm not joking. Imagine if he dropped but What would happen? Number one, tons of press. Let like this know tomorrow. Everyone will be looking at this, looking at this state. Number two, what if he backs me? What happens? Immediately, all of Zeldin's votes come right to me. The people who aren't voting for me, they're not not voting because they don't like my policies, right? They're voting for Zeldin because he's a Republican, because he can win. That's what everyone says. He can win, as they all say. They're not going, we love Zeldin. He's a great guy. No one's saying that. But they like me. They like my policies. So if Zeldin drops out, I get all his votes. Guaranteed. I get his money. Guaranteed. But not just that. In addition, I get all my votes. And I get Democrats. Who can't stand Zellin because he's a Republican. I know this. 25% of the people who support me are registered Democrats. 40% are registered Republicans. 35% are registered something else. No one else gets those numbers but me. So if he loves New York, he would drop out. I'm the next governor if he does. If he actually cares. Now I know. that that I'm not going to win this thing. You're right. I haven't been saying that. I've been saying if I get 130,000 votes, I have a party to keep fighting next year because Zeldin's going to lose this. You think he's not because you believe the lie you've been believing for the past 20 years. And that's okay. That's where your head is. You'll believe that. And when he loses, like Twain, I hope you do two things. One, publicly apologize. And two, give a donation to my campaign because when Zeldin loses the only hope will be an independent party. And if I've gotten it, we have a good chance. And if I don't have it, oh my God, are we going to be working hard? So yes, I hope I at least answered your question. I know you don't like it, but I'm not going to lie to you. So anyway, I hope that was good. Dave says, when a libertarian drops out and endorses an election denier, that isn't a libertarian dropping out. That's when a Republican endorses another Republican. (laughs) That's actually funny, Dave. That's good. So yeah, look, I don't know why he would drop out. He decided to. That's up to him. But that's not what I'm about. You know what I'm about? Hope. We have to have some. If we don't have some, we're in trouble. And thank you for giving me a little bit of hope by giving me a chunk of your afternoon. Larry Sharp, signing out. I will see you all very soon.